And now we turn our attention to the word of our God. And the gospel is read for us this morning by Steve Grizzetti, Don Maloff, and Brianna Kiesling. Our scripture reading this morning comes from John 20, verses 1 through 23. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Jesus said, Woman, why are you crying? Who is this you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet gone to the Father. Go instead to the brothers and tell them I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with this news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. First time I think I've had to preach <clears throat> thinking I should have some sunglasses. But maybe it should be that way every Sunday. It's 
sisters and brothers in Christ. Church historian Yaroslav Pelikan once said, if the resurrection of Jesus actually happened, then nothing else really matters. He went on to say, if the resurrection of Jesus did not actually happen, then nothing else really matters. Is that the way that you feel about Easter? Is the resurrection of Jesus Christ for you the hinge that the meaning of life actually hangs on? That if the resurrection happened, it's the engine that propels everything that you do in life. And if it didn't happen, you're directionless. You're adrift. Is the resurrection of Jesus the hinge of everything? This time of year is a time when uh, many of us go on what we call spring break or spring vacation. I know a lot of people go and look for sun and beaches and that sort of thing. My memories of spring break are not of lying on a beach somewhere but they're more of walking through historical sites out east. Places like Gettysburg or Arlington or Bunker Hill or the Freedom Trail in Boston. My memories of spring break are not Disney, but dioramas. Dioramas of soldiers and their barracks and how they were all placed. Dioramas of the city of Philadelphia, old Philadelphia, and where the Liberty Bell was located, and, and, uh, <clears throat> and where Ben Franklin's house was. All dioramas. I think we probably even saw dioramas of dioramas. And if you haven't figured it out already, I'm not a big fan of dioramas. I always thought they were cold and spiritless, uninspired, and uninspiring. And I think that's the way many people today look at John chapter 20. It's like a diorama of the resurrection. I mean, we've got over here the tomb and Peter and John stooping down to look into it. And then over here we've got a scene with Mary and the gardener. And then way over here, perhaps a little farther to my right, we've got the disciples all cowering in that locked room in fear and disillusionment. Can't you just kind of see the diorama? I mean, it's all history, sure, but it's also just plastic and wood. It's all very, very bland. It's institutional. It's colorless. And it's no wonder then that poll after poll tells us that while most people actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead, they just never do anything about it. They never act on it. They never go to church. They don't rejoice in the resurrection. They don't take comfort from the resurrection. The resurrection just doesn't move them. And, and if you notice, that's sort of the way it is for the people that we just read about in our text as well. There's more confusion in this garden than anything. There's fear, 
There's sorrow, there's bewilderment, but there's no action. There's no purpose, there's no inspiration. First, it's Peter and John that we see, right? And while we're told that John actually believed, it's a mystery as to what he actually believed. In fact, we're told that whatever it was, it didn't come out of Scripture. The two of them left the tomb seemingly more stunned than anything. And then there's Mary. And Mary sees everything through her tears. She just can't stop crying. And the wipers can't keep up. And everything is blurry. Mary, in our text, is a lost soul. She's stuck in place. She's unmoving. You see, it's like a diorama. I mean, all the people are there, and the facts are there, but they're just props. It's all sterile. It's, It's wooden. But it's also exactly the way that Jesus said it would be. In chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve. But then he adds, but your grief will turn to joy. And so our question is when? When will their grief turn to joy? And Jesus also says that. He says, in a little while you will see me no more. And then after a little while... You will see me. When will their sorrow turn to joy? It's when they see Jesus. When they see the living, breathing Jesus. When they see Jesus' presence, his living presence among them, that will transform their life from a staid diorama into a full, living, colorful stage production. When will their sorrow turn to joy? When they have a living encounter with the living Jesus Christ. That's when the movement begins. And this is what plays out in John 20. What is it that brings Mary to life in the garden? What is it that animates her? What is it that sends her running off to the disciples to tell them what she saw? She meets the resurrected Jesus. Jesus comes up behind her and calls her by name, Mary. And it brings her to life. It brings her to action. When the disciples are in that room full of fear, okay, What turns their fear and confusion into gladness and into action? They are sent into the world with this message. What happens? Well, the living Jesus comes and stands among them and he says, Peace be with you. They meet the resurrected living Christ. Without Jesus, You just have a going through the motions. All you have is paper mache, a diorama, lifeless figures. But when Jesus appears, everything comes to life. It's vitalized. It's stirring. Your sorrow 
will turn to joy. And Mary's did. Mary's sorrow turned to joy. And so she grabs and takes hold of Jesus in a way as to never, ever let him go. And this is where Jesus says, no. No, Mary, you can't do that. I am returning to my Father. I am ascending to my Father. And when we hear that, friends, I think we with Mary just want to cry out, No! No, Jesus! Didn't you just hear what we said? I mean, you can't return to the Father because we need you. Without you, there's no belief. Without you, there's no joy, there's no life, there's only sorrow and confusion and paper mache. Jesus, you can't go away. But this is exactly Jesus' point. We all need an encounter with the living Jesus Christ to come to belief. For any of us, That is, any of us gathered here 2,000 years later, for any of us to ever come to belief, we need more than the facts. We need more than a garden, more than a tomb, more than angels, more than Mary. We need Jesus, a living Jesus. We need to hear Jesus call our names. We need a personal, doubt-defying encounter with the living Jesus. Jesus himself, exactly as Mary had and exactly as the disciples had. That's what you and I need as well. Belief will only come through an encounter with the living Christ. And Jesus knew this. You see, what Mary wanted was something that she had had in the past. She wanted to regain that intimacy that she had experienced with Jesus, that intimacy that she had known only days before. But Jesus wanted something more. You see, Jesus made it clear throughout the Gospel of John, and you can read up on this, check me on this, but he makes it overly clear throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus was sent. He was sent. He did not come on his own. He didn't come just to befriend a little group of people and make them his followers. Jesus had been sent by the Father. He says it over and over and over again. I was sent by the Father. Jesus was sent to do what the Father wanted done. Jesus was sent to say what the Father wanted said. Jesus was sent to claim all of the sheep that God had given him. And the Father had given Jesus more than Mary and more than his disciples. The Father had given him more. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
God sent Jesus to save the world. And that's why this concept of returning to the Father is so key. It alerts us again to the fact that Jesus, from the very beginning to the end, is about the Father's business. He and the Father are in such accord, such harmony, such community, such solidarity, that they are one. The Father's will is Jesus' will. You see, Jesus wanted something bigger than Mary because the Father wanted something bigger, something more than Mary could ever imagine. Mary was actually being rather selfish here. And you can't blame her. None of us can blame her. She wanted an intimacy with Christ that none of us has ever really known. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to keep that and retain that forever? But the Father, the Father wanted all the world to know that kind of intimacy with himself. Not just a brief period of time, but an intimacy forever. And so Jesus had to return to the Father. Because only by returning to the Father could he send us his Spirit. And it's only through the Spirit that each of us, 2,000 years later, can still have that personal encounter with the living Jesus Christ. It's through the Holy Spirit that Jesus still comes up to us today in a graveyard and calls our names. Mary, Peter, John, Sue, Sid. And when we have that encounter with Jesus Christ, with the living Christ, three things happen. The first is belief. The lights come on. The diorama becomes animated. The graveyard becomes a garden. And life becomes something that it's never been before. Belief comes with the living Christ. The second result of that encounter with Christ is peace. Peace in the midst of trouble. Mary's tears finally turn to gladness when she encounters Christ. The disciples' fear finally turns to joy when they encounter the living Christ. And that peace is so steadying, so stable, that it allows them to become witnesses in a world that hates them, in a world that wants to kill them, but that's the kind of peace that they have. And Jesus again told us in chapter 14 of John's gospel that this is the way it would be. He said when he went away, he would send another counselor to us. Just as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus would send the Spirit, and that Spirit would give us peace. My peace I will give you. It's a peace that you and I can have today. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And friends, we are going to need that kind of peace because the third thing that comes with an encounter with the living Christ is purpose. 
It's action. It's a call to action. It's life in the transitive form of the word. It's no longer a lame diorama, but as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. You see, the Father still has plans for us. It's in this sentness, it's in carrying out the mission of God that you and I most richly experience abiding with the Father and with the Son. Jesus said it himself, I am going to my Father and your Father. He is now your Father. And his mission that I took on as my mission is now your mission. Is it the Father who sends? Is it Jesus who sends? Or is it the Holy Spirit that sends? Yes, it's all of the above. And as we are sent, in that sending, we have a communion with our God that is true life. And in that sentness, we experience that communion at a richer and richer and richer level. All of our life is wrapped up in that sentness. From the time we get up in the morning to the time we lay down at night, everything we do, every act, every motivation stems from and is the fulfillment of that sentness, the Father's sending. That was Jesus' life, right? His purpose, his being, all of it was tied up in being sent. He lived for the Father, and he gives us that same kind of life where we live for the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is who we are until we too one day finally ascend to the Father. Jesus' resurrection, friends, is everything. It leads to belief. It leads to peace. And all of those things are a part of the sentness. Jesus' resurrection is everything, so much so that if Jesus really rose from the dead, then nothing else really matters. It's everything. It's life. Let's say a prayer together. Jesus, send us your Holy Spirit now. That just like Mary encountered you in the garden, her living Lord, may we encounter you too, our living Savior. Lord, don't just leave us here with the facts, with the empty tomb, with the disciples, with the garden. But Lord, leave us here with the presence of your Spirit. May everything we are and everything we do be driven by the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.